From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast, season 12. Hello, everybody. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. I help startups stand apart from their competition and stand out to their audience with storytelling, messaging, and pitches that perform. In this podcast, you'll hear my conversations with startup leaders from around the globe as they share a slice of their company's story, stories on growth, scale, successes, and failures, all to help you and your company grow up and ultimately stand out. Before we begin today's episode, I'd like to invite you to join the email newsletter that doesn't suck. That's right, if you head to startuphypeman.com and enter your email address, first you'll get my free SaaS masterclass, but you'll also get updates whenever you release new episodes, plus my storytelling tips and advice periodically throughout the month, and helpful resources from Startup Hype Man partners. It's the newsletter that doesn't suck, available at startuphypeman.com. All right, speaking of things that don't suck, let's begin today's episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, making his way to the microphone from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and currently residing in Chicago, Illinois, he is the co-founder and CEO of FanFood, Please welcome Carson Goodale. That was amazing. I've <laughs> never been more excited for a podcast. Was- <laughs> well, it's my job as the hype man to hype you up. He is Carson Goodale, the co-founder and CEO of FanFood, as I just said. What is FanFood? Well, hey, interestingly enough, FanFood's a company I've worked a lot with over the last three years. Uh, helping with their messaging, their pitch, et cetera. So the fan food pitch, do you want me to give it or do you want to give it? I'm giving it, Raj. <laughs> Let me tell you, as a diehard sports fan, there is nothing more frustrating than missing a big play because you are stuck waiting in a line for a hot dog and beer. Fan food keeps fans in the moment. Our mobile ordering app allows fans to order concessions directly from their seat and get notified when it's ready for pickup. And we even deliver it in, uh, directly to your seat in some venues. Um, our app is live on the Android and iOS store. And this week we just released our web app. So now fans don't need to download an app to have a seamless uh, ordering experience. I couldn't have said it better myself, Carson. <laughs> <laughs> so fan food has grown a lot over the last few years. We first got to know each other in, I think, 20, no, maybe early 2017. May 2017. Um, yeah, 2017, April or May. Now, over that time, FanFood has grown. You're now in 75 venues. You've raised $3.5 million. You've got 25 employees. Some of your customers include University of North Carolina, Tennessee, the Durham Bulls, the Formula One Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. This is a company that's on the rise. It's been cool to see your growth, be part of the growth along the journey. Today, we are talking about the concept of bottom-up customer acquisition. Now, can you just give our listeners a little abstract on why that is on your mind or why that's relevant to fan food? Yeah. So when you think of fan food in sports, your mind immediately goes to the professional venues of the world. We're here in Chicago. So you think Wrigley Field, Soldier Field, where the Bears play, um, big, big game this weekend, um, you know, United Center where uh, the Bulls uh, and uh, Blackhawks play. That's where you kind of think. Um and so as we think about our bottom-up strategy, you know, we're thinking of how can we get fan food into high schools, youth sports complex, minor league teams, arenas, and things like that. 
Yeah, and we're going to dive all into that. Before we do, let's take a little trip down memory lane or get to know Carson a little bit better. Now, Carson, you're building a tech company right now. Your dad is actually an accomplished technology executive in his career. Um, has, has technology always just been in your blood? Is it something that was newer in your life? How, how, what's that like? Yeah, I, I definitely get the entrepreneurial bug from my dad. Um, he was he was the tech guy. I, on the other hand, I have zero technology uh, skills. If you asked me to code something, I would you know it would probably ruin the company. So <laughs> it's in the best interest of Fanfood not to get me uh, behind a, a keyboard and, and code. Um, but no, I, I get I definitely got a lot of help from my dad in the early days. That's how we kind of uh, my dad integral piece in helping getting our MVP off the ground and running and, um, you know, helping build kind of that foundation of what fan food is today. Speaking of your dad, um, when we think about how fan food got started, there's kind of a story there, maybe not necessarily how directly fan food got started, but when you think back to maybe the seedlings of this whole thing, can you talk us through sort of that journey and then how that ultimately led to fan food? Well, yeah, I think like, so my, my like, moment that I can remember. So why fan food exists? Because we are very like, I mean, part of our mission, right, is to deliver the ultimate fan experience. I think technology is making it easier for fans to stay at home. And we're in this uh, economy now where experience does drive everything. Like fans don't necessarily go to their favorite team uh, to watch their favorite team play rather for that experience. And, um, you know, something that fan food is really trying to hone in on is, you know, making, you know, staying in that moment, enjoying every, every second of the action. And so my, my, I remember, I think back when my dad was at the University of Iowa game, it was in eighth grade, snowing out, miserable. Um, my dad would make me go stand in long lines. Um, and I remember my dad gave me 20 bucks. I had messed a line, uh, missed a, a touchdown um, play. Um, but on the same time, uh, Iowa ended up winning a, a field goal in the last second. We decided to stay. We were this close to leaving, but we decided to stay. It was not waiting in the line, but I do remember that moment, right? That like second, split second moment of the ball going through the uprights. Um, it's a moment I'll never forget with my dad. I didn't get to like share a lot of memories with my dad growing up because he was an entrepreneur. He was always working hard. Um, and so when I did get to experience those, those are, you know, things that I'll always forget. So I, that's why fan food, you know, does exist is to, to keep, you know, maximize more, most of those moments. Yeah. It's like that, you know, it's like that photograph in your memory that never goes away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very impactful. So let's come to today's topic, which is this idea of bottom up customer acquisition. Now you affronted this really well by saying, Hey, when most people think of fan food, if you think of concession food, you think of stadiums, you immediately jump to the pros. You think NFL, you think NHL, NBA, MLB, et cetera. And then you probably start salivating at all the possibilities of like, oh my gosh, we could have the Bulls, the Golden State Warriors, the Cubs, the Yankees. And all of those are big name teams, more than anything, big name brands. Was that fan food's initial mindset when you got this going? Duh. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> now I'll also be the first to say, if I had a dollar for every time someone came up to me and said, oh, I've thought of that idea, like we would have... You'd have your, all your money raised. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't need to go fundraising all the time. We would, <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I mean, and if you think about it in the, in the lens of like, I think most startups you know, 
building credibility, build, establishing a credibility is tough as a startup, right? So when you're taking a product to the, the, the cream of the crop, the enterprise, the, the big leagues, you know, what credibility do you have? I mean, it's just like raising, you know, it's just like sales. It's just like raising money. It's, you know, establishing credibility and building traction. And what we learned was that a lot, there was a, probably 10 other mobile ordering app companies that tried to go pitch the similar idea. So what we had to do is kind of reevaluate, Hey, we got to swallow our pride. Yes, we want to be in there, but you know, it's probably in our best interest to scale and maybe in these other markets where no one maybe, you know, is selling, uh, build out our product, build out our user acquisition strategy, build out, you know, if we're going to fail, we might as well, would you rather fail in the, in the bottom up or at the top down? When you, when you get the top down, you only get one opportunity. And if you mess it up, that could be it, right? So from a risk mitigation perspective um, and building the traction and building a business and, and learning and, and, you know, iterating on what you're learning is why, you know, we're taking the bottom up approach. Okay, so that's an interesting point. You talk about risk mitigation. It's not really a, that's not really the lens I had thought of it through before, but that's that's a really important factor, especially when you consider like pitching investors. One of the big things they want to see is how are you going to mitigate risk with this whole. If we're going to put money in you, how do you make it not risky? So when you think about that initial mindset of oh my gosh, we could get all these big stadiums and everything, and then you make that transition into well, we should go down market. We should go bottom up. What we think in your case high schools and colleges and, and maybe the minor leagues or semi-pros was it i guess did you have experience where you were like hey we're getting pushed around by the majors or was it before you even got to that point then you're like yeah, hey, no, wait, let's think, rethink yeah no we, we learned quickly that the the sales cycle is is going to be long um there were some things from a technology perspective that we didn't have in our platform that we that it was communicated that we needed to get to that level. So there was definitely some things from a technology perspective that we still had to build out that we didn't have the money for, but we still did like have a awesome technology platform. We had a native solution and we could bring that native solution into these markets where no one really um, had a solution for it. So we could start to build a business, start generating revenue, start adding customers to, to fan foods portfolio. And, and then, you know, build up. Meanwhile, now we have the traction and we can go and get, you know, fundraising to say, Hey, we we built this business here. Now let's use that money, keep investing in the technology and work our way up. And that's kind of the, the approach. You talked about the sales process was lengthy and depth and, and, and especially, you know, you think about like major league baseball, they have a whole, people may not know this. They have a whole wing called like major league baseball advanced media where like if you're going to work with a team, it's got to go through the league. You can't just one off, do something with the Cincinnati reds. The entire league has to approve it. And that could take years potentially. So when you shift down market, the, the answer then logically becomes, okay, who are the people who don't have these restrictions and probably are fine with some technological limitations or haven't thought through all the other integrations, something you might need. And that's where this high school idea comes in as well as minors and some of the colleges and semi pros. So with, Tell me about the shift in the sales process then. What, what's different in selling to this, to the, to the bottom up field, let's say? Value proposition is still very similar, 
right? What we do is like, we wanna take pressure off your concession lines. We wanna increase your, per, your F&B per cap on a per concession stand basis. We wanna provide the best in-venue fan experience possible and allow your fans to stay seated in order from their seat, pick it up through an express pickup line. Doesn't require much labor to, to execute this. And it's just bringing, you know, convenience and on-demand convenience into an industry that is, you know, a little bit legacy. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, 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 uh, I think that we did that because like I said, there was a market, there's a market, there's a need for it. Right. So the value prop, I think is very much the same on the consumer side, like, like the fan side. What I think is interesting. And this is something that we, you know, we had to work closely on together was, how does it change on that stadiums, quote unquote, stadium side, especially when you think about when you're selling to, if you, it's one thing to talk to the head of marketing operations for the White Sox. It's another thing to talk to an athletic director at, I don't know, Wheaton Warrenville South High School. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, there's definitely, the bigger the opportunity, the more decision makers. Um, in, in our case, in the food service space, professional venues oftentimes will contract concessions out to a third party like an Aramark or a Levy um, who manage and run the concession operations. And so, you know, there's multiple angles to attack. And this is when you start to get into like B2P enterprise sales, you might not, you might have to get the approval from multiple people uh, to get to that, you know, close one stage. In the bottom-up approach, your your persona um, might also be your decision maker. Might be your buyer. Might be your champion. Right? There's might be one point of contact, um, and so it, from a sales cycle perspective, it, it enables you to speed it up. Um, so, you know, at Fan Food Two, at our stage, we do have a direct sales team, but I am also a big believer in like inbound marketing as well, and really getting them to come to you and spending your time working with, you know, opportunities that are at the bottom of the funnel that are already kind of educated in your product offering also streamlines, you know, that, that buying process. I want to ask you more about that sales and marketing relationship, but before I do, I just want to let our listeners know about a new partner of the show, Sales Hacker. If you are a longtime listener here, then you know that I try to feature more B2B startups on this show or like in FanFood's case, startups that might be marketplace but have a very strong B2B side to them. And Sales Hacker is the world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. They have 135,000 members. And whether you're a CEO, a head of sales, or a sales rep, Sales Hacker helps you get better at your job with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual sales experts and practitioners, including yours truly, no big deal. Uh, it's, it's no fluff from outside concept marketers, just the straight dope to grow your sales acumen. I love what they're doing over there and I'm so excited to have them as a partner of this podcast now. You can join the Sales Hacker community for free at saleshacker.com. Again, that's saleshacker.com. Just join the Sales Hacker community for free to get access to all those articles, research, and more. One more time, www.saleshacker.com. All right, so we're talking here with Carson Goodale, the co-founder and CEO of FanFood. Carson, you mentioned how you're a big believer in inbound. So there's the direct outbound selling side, and then there's inbound where they're more educated and more or less closer to a purchase decision. 
What types of inbound marketing activities is fan food doing to drum up sales? Yeah. So I think like we identify those key value propositions. Like why are our personas buying fan food? What's in it for them? And our kind of step one is identifying those value propositions and correlating or tying those to a problem. Like there's there, each value proposition is solving a unique problem. There is a reason why they're buying. We create content and solutions around those problems that are also kind of correlated to our value propositions in the form of blogs, in the form of we have a game day podcast uh, where we interview um, industry experts in the world of sports, asking them about what are they doing to optimize or make their you know, stadiums more efficient? What, what's the latest and greatest sports technologies in this space? Um, what are some kind of key trends as it pertains to fan experience, um, regular email, you know, and just kind of like building those and then, you know, and then people will start to, you know, subscribe and, you know, you start to build your, your list and stuff that way. And then you start, when you start pushing out some of this content and then when it gets really fun, you can start doing retargets, right. Um, and creating lookalikes. And then you can start to, you know, get involved in some of the group, you know, in some of the paid and, once you get, you know, your, your cost per lead figured out and you get the conversion funnels going and then it's just a scaling game. Um, you know, you figure out however many leads are you need to, you know, to generate a, a close one and then you scale that up and then, then it's a, then it's a scaling game and that's when things get really fun and I hope to get there in quarter one. So tell me then, so I know the game day podcast is something that you guys are really proud of and enjoy and you guys are pumping out episodes, I think every week of that. And you've had some yep. pretty cool guests on the show, like director of marketing for the Baltimore Ravens, like some pretty high profile people. Is yeah. the intent, when you think about inbound for the podcast, is the intent to start to attract some of those upmarket companies or is it to be, is it to show the <laughs> down market, the high schools, the colleges, the semi-pros, we are forward thinking thought leaders because we're talking to actually the best in the game at least, or is it both? Um, it is both a little bit, right? Um, we, we know where we want to go. We know where we're scaling today, but we know where we want to go. Um, my business partner, a couple people on our team just got back from the winter meetings, minor league baseball, uh, trade show. And a big, big thing that they heard was, Oh, don't you guys have a podcast? Oh, I get your, your, your emails awesome. every week. That's awesome. You know, and then, oh, you guys are the fan, you're the fan food guys. You know, it took, took a little bit, but now, you know, we go, we, we, we go back to why we took an, a bottom-up approach in the first place. And a, one of the big reasons, like I said, was building credibility, establishing credibility as a, as a startup, early stage startup. And so when you start to get feedback like that, that's kind of validation that, because it's tough to measure, right? How do you, how do you measure credibility? number of touch points, number of impressions. I don't know. There's there, there, it gets to a point where they're like, okay, these people know what the hell they're talking about and they're doing it. And they're bringing in smarter people like, you know, the CEO of minor league baseball, we had him on like, it was an amazing, you know, podcast expert in fan experience. This guy knows fan experience. He knows fan experience better than anyone, you know, and now it gets, it's an opportunity for not only us to like learn, but like everyone. And then, you know, and then that perception of like, yeah, we know, what that you know what we're talking about because we're doing it every day and they're starting to tie that to us and 
I think part of this equation too is when you think about credibility, it takes, I mean, not anyone is getting meetings with the CEO of minor league baseball. So there's even this added like social proof to it. Like, wow, like they're getting, the, they're, they're in conversations with these kinds of people. They must, even if they're just the ones interviewing them, they must know what they're talking about if they're mm -hmm. having conversations with, with big names like that. Exactly, exactly. The other part of this too that I think is so interesting is you almost, when you take that bottom up approach, you start to slowly nudge for like, like the ceiling slowly lifts, right? And you start, you start to nudge further and further against like first the fringe level of the professionals to a point where you, you kind of become unavoidable. And, and, and ideally we're getting, we're going to get to a point very soon where fans are going to professional games and being like, what the hell? My high school stadium has this. Why don't you have it? Yeah, and that's kind of intentional, right? Like, we kind of want to be that little bug almost. Like, we want to get to a – someone told me, I can't remember who, this, this concept of, like, are you a mosquito? Is it a mosquito bite or a shark bite? Like, shark bite is like, I need to buy that. You know, mosquito bite's like, oh, cool, but, like, yeah. you know. Well, if you have enough mosquitoes – Hey, you know, inside your venue bugging you, There's, you know, that turns into a shark bite pretty quick, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's definitely, definitely intentional. Um, that's, I think intentional or maybe one of the added value benefits of, you know, taking the bottom up approach. It's not as glamorous. It's, it's a lot more gritty. It's, you know, harder work and cause you, you know, the, you, you have to get the volume. Right. And so, that we hope, right? Because today's fan food users at a high school are tomorrow's users at a college. And the tomorrow's college users that go to sporting events or the season ticket holders at college events, you know, have go to all the pro events. And so like high schools go to youth sports, you know, so it's, you know, that, that's kind of the, you know, the hope, you know, we'll kind of wait and see and continue to, take this bottom up approach and we'll see how the, the user retention um, unfolds. We're talking with Carson Goodell, the co-founder and CEO of Fan Food today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Carson, I want to just pause and, and sort of repeat back what you just said, because I think it's so important when we think about the larger context of things here. And it is that you said today's high school students who have fan food at their football games are tomorrow's college students, are, to, are then the next year's professional fans, right? And and that is truly embracing long game and understanding not just customer journey in terms of like a sales funnel, but customer lifetime journey. And this is well beyond like marketing metrics, but this is, this is how you take actions to create a shift in the market's mindset overall. And it takes such long-term thinking because like you said, like one mosquito bite doesn't matter. But a lot of mosquito bites, you have to do something. And it, but it takes a while to get those mosquito bites in place. So it, can you just talk through like the patience of embracing the long game? Um, yeah, patience or, or stress or anxiety. <laughs> you know, I, um, it, it's funny, like five years ago, because like mobile ordering inside venues, like early adopters failed at it and it left a, a bad taste in the industry's mouth. This is, this is how I perceived it when I started fan food. Um, 
now the notion is it's not a matter of uh, if, but when mobile ordering will be, you know, so we are starting to see this shift. You hear the shift with, with you know, uh, press releases, you know, and publications talk about it, the shift to go cashless, less and less people carry cash today. But you also see like trends from other industries that are, you know, coming in to the sports space. So like the fact that like Starbucks now has nearly half of the revenue coming through that mobile ordering app. Literally this morning, that's how I got my Starbucks. <laughs> Me too. Um, you know, is a shift, right? The fact that like you have to get up out of your seat, go wait 20 minutes in line, you know, miss uh, a quarter. It's, 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 it's a terrible experience. And I think any, in, in, you know, by, by focusing on creating, constantly creating the best experience, user experience, constantly focusing on that, knowing what we do know, I'm a, like, I'm a millennial. I like, I don't like waiting in line, love convenience, you know, like, so you know it's coming. Yeah. Um, staying true to that, staying just persistent, and you start to you start to see the shift. And you, you, there's also a, there is definitely market timing. That's definitely a huge factor. Um, you got to hit it. I, sometimes it does require a little luck, but I mean, got to got to hustle. Right, you know? right. You know, you you talked about like that that poor fan experience when they do have to wait in line. So I whether you know it or not, or whether anyone else knows it, I give probably every month between one and five startup pitch workshops at different incubators, accelerators, or just on my own to the startup hype man audience. And I always use your example. I always give the fan food elevator pitch example, but I also always tell everyone about that time when you were giving that pitch, you know, the one you gave at the front of this podcast to a room of people. And when that one guy like stood up and stopped you mid sentence to talk about the Odell Beckham catch that he, you remember that when that happened? Yeah. And it, that became a big like piece of my, I was like, your, your story is better than my story. And I'm going to take your story to, to pitch to investors now because like, damn. Yeah. You missed the Odell Beckham catch. <laughs> and he was like, so like, you know, he was so, so elaborate about it. Right. Like he, yeah, I would too. You know, he said, he was like, wait, 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 no, like that happened to me. Like I, like, he's like, I missed like the greatest catch in NFL history. I paid like 500 bucks yeah, yeah, for my end zone seat. And then yeah. I was on, I was waiting in line. Like, and that's when, you know, you've just struck a chord with people, right? Yeah. It's not just that you're, you're not dancing around the issue. It's like, you have gotten so emotionally in tune with a problem that they are telling back to you the exact moment in time it happened with real, like, like in his case, like anger, but you know, with real power in their voice, real emotion in their voice. Mm -hmm. And, and that's great, right? No, but our initial buyer is the venue, right? right? And so, yes, all fans share that same pain point, but it's pitching it to the venue. Like, what's the pain point? Like, the concessionaire doesn't, you know, right. I mean, to some degree. I mean, yeah, of course they care about like providing a fan, better fan experience it's definitely part of like the value proposition but you have to be able to articulate why they need fan food just as much as why a fan needs fan food because you right. can't you can't do the latter without the former first right. and so that's like the that's also you know part of the challenge well and that's where you know when we come 
think about this idea of what is the bottom of the market need to hear versus the top of the market need to hear. I mean, that was, when we spent the beginning of this year deep diving into that when like, so with, like, with the high schools, the athletic directors, the booster club presidents, like if someone's thinking of fan food just from the outside, I guarantee they're not thinking of what is the mindset of a booster club president or an athletic director. They're thinking about pro stadiums for sure. Yeah. But, you know, can you just kind of tease or talk through what the athletic director cares about or the booster club president cares about and how does that differ from, say, what a, um, what a, a major league or a professional venue person might care about? Well, I think like with the, the athletic director at a high school has a million responsibilities, right? And we know like they're, what we, we thought they were the decision maker. They definitely can be the decision maker, but we also learned that they're putting out fires all of the time, right? And like the last thing that they want to have to worry about is concessions. Although sometimes that is another added responsibility. They just keep adding more and more responsibilities, but they delegate it to the president of the booster club whose KPI is definitely driving fundraising initiatives. So yeah, we, we can go to them and say, Hey, we have a fundraising platform that's going to help you, you know, drive your biggest, you know, concessions are their biggest fundraising driver for most high schools. And we're going to drive that. And what we also learned is like, this is like cool piece of te technology. Like these booster club parents have a lot of pride in the, the organization and they want to be, and we heard this all the time, like, we want to be the talk of the town. Like we want to be the first to bring this really cool technology. And, and from a fan perspective, it doesn't really matter if you're a season ticket holder at a pro venue or you're a parent watching your, your son play under Friday night lights. No one likes waiting in lines and missing moments, period. Right. Yeah. And so the pain point from the fan perspective is still there. Um, and so now when we're taking this technology and it's great technology into these high schools, um, it's really impactful to, to bring just as much, if not even more value there um, at that level um, and continuing to, to ride the wave up. Got a couple more questions here before we wrap up. So like we, you know, we've echoed several times throughout this conversation that the general expectation, if you were to hear about fan food is to just think professionals. I have to imagine that's what people who are applying, like you're at 25 employees now. So I have to imagine when people are applying for jobs at FanFood, like they're immediately like, like they're, they're maybe coming into this interview being like, oh my God, what do you mean we could like, we could sell to the I know, Raptors and sit courtside if they thank someone. us. Yeah, you know, like all that stuff. So, do, I mean, is it, is it impacting the hiring process? And if so, like, how are you tempering that? Uh, you set expectations, right? Like, I, hey, I, I'm really excited about you joining the team and I definitely want you to get there, right? Yeah. But I want you to learn the business. I want you to become an expert. I want you to, you know, learn how to set a meeting for, close, close a few, you know, close a few deals. Let's, let's work together on that. And so the way I've kind of set it, you know, with our initial sales team is like, that's where we want to get there, but let's prove, let's prove it out first here. And then that's, you know, a promotable potentially position in six months. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's work on Wheaton Warmville high school before the yeah, Washington Nationals. Before you, can, <laughs> no, before you start sprinting. Yeah. Oh, that's I love the ambition. You know, yeah. I, I honestly love it. Like people come to me like, Oh, I'm going to go get this venue. And I'm like, I hope you do. Yeah. You know, but so. it's a good way to phrase it or, or position it to them as well. Cause you're not, you're also as important as the today is with the bottom of the market. You're not saying, hey, the top of the market doesn't matter. It's just you got to 
we got to do this first before we get there. And then I think what it does is it buys people into the larger mission and knowing that today matters as a result of that. Exactly. Couldn't have said it, couldn't have said it better. So when you think about just, I guess, businesses at large, I mean, obviously the, the trade-off of bottom up here is a high school is going to generate significantly less revenue than Wrigley Field would, right? I, like that's, that's a given. So this really has to be a bottom, or this has to be a volume play in the bottom up strategy. When you think about business in general, what do you, I guess, see as, hey, it probably makes sense to consider what we've done, this bottom up approach. Um, like what, what, what market conditions do you think need to be in play for that to make the most sense? Mm, that's tough. I mean, like we pivoted, we actually pivoted our business model because although the revenue opportunity from a volume perspective is significantly lower on a per event basis, the number of like the sheer number of potential customers is hundred times the amount. There's over 36,000 high schools in the United States, public high schools in the United States alone, right? And so the business model, and what we also learned, feedback, is that unlike a Grubhub, Postmates, or Uber Eats that take 20, 30% you know, revenue share on product sales, they budget you know, every year. So it's like how we pivoted to more of a reoccurring revenue model and targeting the, the volume on the, the B2B side um, with the expectation in the long run on the tail end, the transactional revenue will outweigh as more and more people continue to use fan food as the preferred way of ordering. Hmm. As long as you kind of like have that, that foundation, um, we can build a profitable business. I think like other market, you know, factors like a lot of these big tech companies going public, um, with like not sustainable business models also has forced me as an entrepreneur to kind of reprioritize not, Hey, maybe yes, top line growth, revenue growth is important, but you also need to have a plan to create a profitable business. I think like, that's just something I'd like that makes an entrepreneur kind of, it's like impressive. Like, honestly, like it, it, if you can build like a profitable business and not have to rely on fundraising, um, I mean, that's definitely where we want to get to, right? And so we, we can do that by just kind of pivoting the, the model just a little bit. Yeah, it warms my heart to hear you say that, building a profitable business and that you've seen all these companies that just raise a, a crap ton and don't ever actually have a real business on their hands. And that's, that's, the, that's the Midwest values right there. Right, right, right. Well, okay, so then uh, my last question before we begin our wrap up then, based off what you just said is, and this is something that I don't know if you've ever been asked before, or at least maybe not publicly, but I don't think it's yeah. really talked about unless it's in like private circles is, when you and your executive team get together, do you have conversations around what will investors want to hear? Or do you have conversations around what is, what's best for business? Or do you see them as the same thing? Um, I always do what's like, I obviously care right like obviously the investors are the ones that are making the decisions as to whether or not they want to invest in the company but ultimately you have to do what's in the best interest of, of the business right yeah. Yeah. um 
And so I think like investors, when you like, when the entrepreneur uh, removes their ego, I think like it, investors like are most of the time aligned with what, you know, I mean, ultimately you have to decide what's in the best interest of the, of the business, but most of the time you're, you're aligned. Should be, right? Because in what I do now too, um, especially with investors that say no, and you, you learn why, I mean, it's good practice because like, what about, you know, fan food is not like not investable, right? Right. Learn those things. Oh, it's because you don't, there's a, there's a certain revenue metric that you didn't hit or the use, you know, your, your month, your month over month growth needs to be here or there, you know, so they become benchmarks to some degree. So it's like, how do you hit those benchmarks? I like to think how, how, you know, what's the, the path of least resistance? How can you get to that, that milestone? Um, to go back and convince us to, you know, put in more money. Sure. Sure. <laughs> All right. Where can our listeners, um, learn more about fan food and where can they get in touch with you? Yes. You can learn more about fan food by going to our website, www.fanfoodapp.com. Subscribe, check out our blog, uh, there as well on our website. Um, you can find me, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, Carson Goodale. My email is Carson at fanfoodapp.com. If you want to shoot me a note, great to connect. And you mentioned FanFood has a podcast now. We're still yep. the name and is it on all the platforms? Yes, check it out. It's uh, the Game Day Playbook. It's hosted by Rob Cressy, the sports guru himself. <laughs> It's on all of uh, the applicable podcast channels. I'm a big Spotify guy, so <laughs> I've been liking that a lot. Um, so yeah, I would encourage everyone to check that out. I keep pushing people to Spotify for this show, and like, because we got on Spotify in that like first batch of podcasts that got on like early last year, and yeah, and I. I, I'm always so surprised when the listenership is like 95% Apple five. I'm like, everyone listens to Spotify for everything else. How are they just listening to podcasts or Apple? Maybe they just don't know yet. Spotify that's, has podcasts. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. That's how it'll probably change. Okay. Yeah, I, I would imagine, especially because Spotify's upping it. They're doing like original podcasts now and all that stuff. So, yeah. all right. So top line takeaways from today's conversation. Our topic was bottom-up customer acquisition. So this is where we'll just each give our one or two big lessons learned or takeaways for the audience. To me, when I think about bottom-up customer acquisition, um, it's, really, um, it's really about how do you push yourself into market to where you can no longer, you can no longer be avoided. And that's what I see is kind of what is unfolding for you guys right now. What, um, what, kind of top line takeaway or lesson do you have for the audience? Um, do what's in the best interest of the business and don't let your, your pride get, get ahead of that. Right. Because I think from like our perspective, like, of course we want to go um, and partner with the Cubs and of course we want to partner with the Bulls and the Bears, but you know, be smart because in, especially in the early days, you have like the entrepreneur, um, it has a finite amount of resources, right? And so you have to make a business decision. What's the big, best, biggest bang you can get for your buck within that, 
you know, finite amount of resources you have in order to get to that next. If you know you want to get here one day, do what you need to do today to put yourself in that best position tomorrow. And that, that's, yeah, that's my biggest thing. My final question, which is what we asked every guest on the show now, fill in the blank. Entrepreneurship is blank. Gangsta. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Explain. You got to explain that a little bit more. <laughs> I love it. You didn't have to think. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, I just like spit something out. Um, <laughs> entrepreneurship is blank not glamorous and it's not always the most fun um it's it's a lot of lot of responsibility and but definitely the most fun and rewarding impactful like job that i've been a part of and now that we have a team too it's so exciting and equally as intimidating that you know we now have a team and most of the, I mean, everyone's pretty much smarter than me now. So it's like also like super cool to see smart people like, you know, working together as a team that's, you know, striving toward one goal or one accomplishment. And that's just been some, like probably the most rewarding thing. Yeah. Right on. Probably a little, oh, yeah. less, probably a little less lonely too. Gangsta. Yeah. <laughs> it's gangsta, but it's also not glamorous and it's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. He, he is Carson Goodale. He is the CEO of Fan Food. Carson, thank you so much for joining us today for this edition of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thanks, Raj. Nice chatting with you. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can share this episode with a friend or you can leave a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts page. When you do that, it boosts us in the search results. And ultimately, that means more entrepreneurs will listen, which means we share the message, we spread the mission, and support more entrepreneurs at the end of the day. You don't have to stop with the podcast if you want more. And if you are interested in telling your company's story better across your demo calls to investors and to any audience you seek, well, then why not have a conversation with me? Head to startuphypeman.com, fill out a form there, and let's talk. If you've got recommendations for future guests for the show or you want to be a guest on the show yourself, email media at startuphypeman.com. That'll tie a bow on this one. Thank you again to this week's guest for joining. I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to Startup Hype Man, the podcast. We will see you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown too yeah. Ooh, This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. And if you can't get it loose Then they fall into the truth It got you howling at the moon yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Instead of sundown yeah. This a dance with the devil bro. Tell me what you gonna do It's a dance with the devil.